Thank you for tuning in to our podcast, Four Seas Around the World. This is our chance to hear from our four Charlies at different locations across the globe. A chance to hear about the different missions at each location. And a way to give our four Charlies a voice to discuss their unique roles at, across the AFMS. I'm Master Sergeant Jonathan Becker, Flight Chief at Whiteman Air Force Base Mental Health Clinic. And I'm Master Sergeant Vanessa Buecher, Flight Chief at Joint Base Anacostia Bowling Mental Health Clinic. Listen in as we get to hear stories about how our fellow four Charlies came into the career field, the different challenges they have overcome, and their goals on where they want their career to take them. We want to ensure people are able to get a better picture for how operations are at different locations and to also have four Charlies discuss some of the very unique missions out there to include SEER, different embedded positions, working at the brig, working with the MTIs, and other missions that are available to us in our career field. What we won't be doing is discussing by name issues with other members in our career fields, enlisted, off, officer, or civilian. And we will not be swapping stories about patients. So please tune in and hear about our four Charlie experiences. And let us know if you have any feedback for us, the hosts, or our guests. Thank you again for tuning in. Enjoy the show. All right, hey everyone. Welcome back to another Four Charlie Around the World episode. Today we have Staff Sergeant Danny Pearson from Joint Base Andrews. She's gonna to talk to us today about um, her deployment that she just got back from, from Dover. Um, she did a manning assist out to Eielson um, and, and just some other fun little facts about her career and coming and how she ended up here in the, the Air Force. But before we get started with her, we're starting a new segment today called Shirt Dirt. Uh, as we know, Sergeant Becker has started his shirt duty um, in a maintenance squadron. I forget what kind of squadron. I'm sorry. No, 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 you're good. So um, <laughs> I actually am attached to the 20th attack unit at Whiteman, and it's a, uh, it's a geographically separated unit, so a GSU. So we actually fall under Shaw the 25th attack group that then falls under Creech, the 432nd. So that's oh. been a learning curve for me. Um, not confusing at all. <laughs> no, not at all. But their mission is they, uh, they have pilots and sensor operators as well as Intel folks, and they fly the MQ-9 mission um, downrange or wherever needed. So um, it's a, so the the biggest the biggest thing um you know over the last two weeks that i've officially been in the seat i've had a lot of um a lot of stuff happening you know your normal um you know midnight calls your normal mental health um you know related work issues a lot of spouse needs um or you know helping spouses while members are tdy or deployed um so there's been a lot of you know a lot of the normal stuff but the biggest learning curve for me has been the culture right so just as folks have been deployed somewhere or TDY somewhere, you have to kind of like, you know, fit in where you can get in kind of deal, you know, um, you're the first sergeant. So, you know, people are going to ask you for stuff regardless, that phone will ring regardless. So to me, um, just making sure I deliver whenever that phone comes on and not so much as I have all the answers, it's recognizing immediately if I don't know, and then how can I get that answer? But, um, 
the culture is phenomenal. The coach, the culture is really phenomenal at the unit. Um, so it's a unit that it's a mission that a lot of people want to be a part of in the, um, in the, uh, Intel or not, sorry, in the sensor operator and the pilot, like a lot of people are, are prior enlisted. A lot of people are cross training. A lot of people want to do this job. So the commander is really awesome in that he has really set the tone for that culture. He wrote a seven page paper called the hellhound. Why? Cause they're the, we're, we are the hellhounds. Um, and he focused on three different aspects of culture, but he has really delivered a lot where, um, for instance, any males that, um, that, you know, their spouses give birth, even if they're active duty or not, they say, Hey, you're the, we are going to make, give you that 42 days of leave because they're a 24 seven unit. So they know they expect a lot of their members. They're going to say, Hey, we know 20 days is not enough to establish the family 40. I mean, you could argue that's not enough, but at least they, right off the bat, it's not even a question. Commander's going to sign off on that. Um, they've really done a lot to curb their fitness where, um, you know, they do a mock test and if you score 80 or above, they'll count that as an official test. Um, but you got to score 80 above, can't be exempt on any components. Um, they've actually worked with a local, um, a local business where they deliver macros friendly meals to the unit. So the booster club goes, picks up the meals, brings them back. And that way, you know, they have a, a chip scanner and they have their normal snack bars, you know, energy drinks, things like that. Um, they have naked juices in there. I mean, they have a lot of healthy options. So they say, you know, they're really big on the fitness, but also, Hey, you know, we need you not crashing in the middle of the night because you're on your third monster. We want you to eat healthy, have some other healthy options. If you need it, it's there. We got it. Um, but a lot of healthy, healthy options. And one big thing that um, I found is really, really interesting. They've incorporated the 360 feedback. And what they do is they ask one question, and that is how well is, is the member performing? And they ask that of the rater, of the peer, and of the subordinates underneath that member. So everybody gets input on those things. Um, so it's been really interesting to get ingrained into the culture, learning all the stuff that I can about these guys. Um, and again, just kind of proving myself that I'm willing to be that team player, willing to learn, willing to do whatever I need to do to help them. So, um, but you know, obviously it's, it's not medical. So it's, it's a huge, huge culture shock. And it's just been, it's been really fascinating, honestly, just to see how somebody has taken what I, feel like there are a lot of great ideas that sometimes seem impossible and just like made it happen. He just said, Hey, we're going to do this. And that's that. Um, which was really cool because chief bass came to visit, um, to Whiteman and we were the second stop on, uh, at, towards the end of the night. And she loved it. She, we, we gave her a binder with all the things we talked about, the initiatives, the why. Um, but I was fortunate enough the next day to um to have lunch with her with some other senior ncos we got to uh, we actually got to meet diamond one who is chief perry former mental health tech so that was really awesome yeah. to meet chief former our command chief too uh, no when was up on andrews yeah he was i think was he the command chief when you first got to andrews sorry I'm i think so yeah yeah but super awesome guy got to meet him that was fantastic I actually i asked him i was like yo can i add you on facebook because you know, he's going to be the, the career field manager, uh, or he is the career field manager. But so some of the things that we talked about with Chief Bass um, was I asked the question about the diversity inclusion uh, stuff that's going on with the memos that have come down from mm -hmm. uh, current administration. And she, she very blatantly said, let me be clear, 
that is to not stop any diversity inclusion training. It's not to stop discussions. It's not to stop anything other than any paid for training that is vilifying a specific race. And I guess there was some, I, I don't know where, but somewhere in the DOD, um, somebody had paid for a uh, white privilege training and it went kind of sideways to where they were essentially, I guess the, the message was not clear on uh, some of the other literature that's out there. And there was a lot of complaints about that. And a lot of people, I guess, um, felt attacked and not, speaking from a white male and some of the stuff I've learned over the last few months, not the stuff like, oh, I didn't realize that, or hey, I didn't recognize that. I guess they felt like I am the problem. Like I literally did something wrong. So they were trying to stop that. But um, she also said, you know, it shouldn't just be related to race, but also gender, making sure that we're, um, mm -hmm. you know, having conversations about that, you know, obviously as the first female chief master of the Air Force, she's, you know, is fully aware of all the, all the, um, the issues that females have in the, in the military. So, um, like all the, all the EO categories, essentially. Correct. Yeah. Not just, not just race, everything that is included in there. So she talked about, Hey, none of this stuff should be stopping other than specifically if it is vilifying a race or gender. Um, the second question they were talking about MPA days, just the guard is, you know, seeing a decrease and they're trying to figure that out. Um, there are going to be uniform board changes coming down for the females. Um, talked about fitness as a culture. The waste measurement will be leaving. Uh, they will be trying to yes. remove that permanently. So, um, but she talked about, hey, hey, a lot of people just focus on the test. We really need to be focused on fitness as a culture. The test is just that a test. It's not an overview of your, you know, entire fitness. Um, I asked a question about the EPR. She said. With the feedback, um, apparently the, the OPRs, the officer reports, have really kind of come together. And um, she goes, what they're looking for in a leader really shouldn't be different than what the enlisted look for. So yeah. there might be some similarities between the OPR and the EPR moving forward, but they really are looking on ways to value experience. So she said not this EPR cycle, but next EPR cycle. Next year, they'll figure out a way to say, hey, you know, is it time and grade? Is it time and service? Or what is the other way that we capture that experience? Um, because she, she did recognize, she goes, we are pushing through a lot of people pretty quickly. And there is this leadership gap now. And um, she talked about strats going away from the specific numbers. You know, there's like, you know, Buker, if you're number one, and I'm number two, and Pearson's number three, it won't be that it'll just be either if we're in the top 10 or 20%. And that's that. That's just it. Yeah, that's, that's just it. Yeah. But, I, think, um, and I think we've talked about this because when you sit on some of these boards or you hear people talking about like when the promotion, they really get hung up on like numbers like that, even though they're directed not to. <laughs> Correct. Yeah. yeah. You know, what, what is the difference between number one and number two or one right. number one and number 10, you know, if a better in, bullet writer, exactly. it, it, could it, it could essentially be, it could be that they are better, but it also just could be because they, you know, can write a better bullet too. <laughs> but she talked a lot about too, making sure that we're being truthful in that EPR rating. And um, she did talk about the Sergeant Banks thing. And this is where another piece that she really talked about with uh, senior NCOs as being advisors to the commander, you know, she, 
she said a lot of her um, social media stuff is run by her team. And after Sergeant Banks and a few other individuals had commented the same thing on multiple posts, they brought it to her attention. We're like, hey, you may want to, we don't know how you want to address this. It seems like there's some trolls. And she even said, she goes, what's a troll? You know, like, what, what is yeah. that? And that's when she just put it out there. Like, you know, we clearly need to have a conversation because I don't understand what you're doing here or why she goes, I really wanted to know why are you asking this question? So um, the biggest issue that she saw whenever she talked to Sergeant Banks and his leadership team, um, and she excused Sergeant Banks after they talked and got on the same page was that the master Sergeant, I'm a, I don't know if it's the direct raider or flight chief, but the master sergeant that was in on that conversation actually knew about the comments and said to the chief, we, we knew he had made those posts and we were going to talk to him. And she goes, that was a failure I felt on that leadership. Cause I don't know about you guys, but the moment I know that one of my guys is putting stuff out there like that, I'm shutting it down immediately. Mm -hmm. um, yep. And me personally, the way I feel about it is that, you know, nobody, you know, this, you listen to her talk on one of her podcasts, she says her name. So you know it right off the bat. And for him to do that and then do have other people in his circle bring up that question multiple times, clearly it wasn't a knowledge deficit of yeah. how her name's pronounced. It's a trolling, mm -hmm. seeking attention, doing whatever. And for that mass sergeant to say, hey, we knew about that and we were going to do that. She goes, I really felt like, you know, leadership let him down in that, and in that regard that they didn't educate the young man but that kind of also she said goes into um, how we need to do better about connecting with our with our younger generation that's coming in um, you know she put it in a great perspective there's four different generations in our air force there's you know boomers generation xers generation y and generation z's and you know we need to do a better job of connecting and figuring out what these guys are doing and how do we how do we help kind of um, unleash and unlock their creativity and their innovation because our, and she said peer, she didn't say near peer, our peer competitors of China and Russia. She goes, China, she goes, those, some of the younger generation, it's, it's, an, it's um, off the charts how many uh, geniuses they have via IQ level uh, just because they spend all their time with one goal. And granted, you know, again, going back to the culture, China is a way different culture yeah. than America, but um, it, it was very interesting to, to kind of see that, you know, 10,000 foot view of what she's talking about. I mean, she talked about our, um, she talked about our national debt being, you know, at 26 trillion and how that will affect our budget, especially with the space force and all the natural disasters having to pay for all that stuff. Um, but the one thing she did say that I, I definitely want everybody to kind of hone in on other than other things is that, she goes, the Air Force does not have a retention problem. She goes, we are two to 8,000 strong over our allotment. So what that means is not the, the thing that happened to, what was it back in like uh, 13 or 14, whenever, you know, they had the voluntary separation or voluntary retirement. She goes, not yeah. that. There's going to be a lot of hard decisions coming down on force retrainings, looking at SRBs, um, getting people cross-trained into the critically manned areas and being more honest in ratings, right? If we need to trim extra, where do we trim it at and whose input? And that's where she, you know, was like, you know, we really rely on senior NCOs input into the rating chain, but also being advisors to commanders. And, you know, if people are putting into to re-enlist, 
do they really need to be in the military? Are these individuals really productive in our, in our, you know, society? Do they have potential to, to be productive? So it, again, it was very, very interesting and intriguing to hear what she had to say. Um, she did talk a lot, but I think, you know, she, this was her second visit since she's been the chief and she felt compelled to give a lot of information, which I, I mean, we're all fine with. We, you know, got to ask, you know, a handful of questions, which was great. Um, but it was just, it was really, really interesting to get that kind of perspective, you know, you know, straight from the person at the top. So um, I also did get a selfie, so it was pretty cool. Yeah, I saw that. <laughs> I had to post that, that little... on Facebook. <laughs> But um, but thank you so much for letting me uh, share that little section. Sergeant Pearson, sorry for stealing your time. Um, you know, I just, we wanted to try to share as much information as we can, um, you know, th through with everybody. So, um, but turning it back over to Sergeant Pearson, kind of just, if you don't mind, just kind of take us through, you know, um, you know, where you're from originally uh, and how you came to be in the Air Force. Sure. So I was born in Indiana, raised in Indiana. Um, 20 years old, I got this amazing idea to get married, uh, and he happened to be in the Army, so I moved down to Fort Benning, Georgia, and that was really my first experience um, around the military in general, so that's kind of where I learned the ins and the outs and the do's and the don'ts kind of thing. Um, we ended up getting divorced about three years later, and I stayed in Columbus, Georgia um, by myself, even though the rest of my family was in Indiana still. Um, and I just, I started entertaining the idea that I wanted to join. Um, so I actually looked at the army, the Navy and the air force. Um, all my army friends told me to go air force, of course. <laughs> and <laughs> <What do I>? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> um, so that's what I ended up going with was the air force. Um, my first duty station is Andrews air force base, which is where I'm currently at for the next five days. And then I am headed to. <laughs> I know, right? It's exciting. Uh, then I'm headed to, to South Carolina to work at the brig. So that's where I'm at so far. What? So what was it though? <laughs> sorry, we try to speak at the same time there. Uh, what was it though when, when you were kind of, like you said, you got this idea, what was it that kind of hit home? Like, hey, maybe I need to do this or hey, I want to do this. Um, I got to see a lot of different areas of the Army. Um, I got to see drill sergeants. I got to see Ranger Battalion. I got to see um, field artillery and infantry. I just got to see a lot of different aspects of the military and just kind of how they work together. And they seem to be a close-knit family. Um, and I just like that. I like that aspect of it. And I also liked that, you know, school was paid for, even though I had already had my associate's degree. Um, that was that was definitely a plus for me and just traveling so i like that the possibilities so and then did you come in wanting to do mental health or what were your thoughts whenever you saw that on the piece of paper that came through so i i had intel and loadmaster were my my top two <laughs> okay um, <laughs> yes completely different yeah. um hindsight 2020 i'm very glad i did not get those two though um i had three dogs when i joined so those two lifestyles with dogs and, you know, not being uh, married um, would have been very difficult to handle, especially with Loadmaster um, in the traveling. So mental health was probably 10 out of 12 on my list. <laughs> oh, <wow>. um, <laughs> yeah, so it was, I honestly took it pretty hard when I got mental health because um, if you know me, I'm, I'm 
an outspoken person. Um, I've had to tone down a lot <laughs> since being in the military. I'm not very good at being tactful, um, which has also improved over, over the years. Not perfect, of course, but I've worked on it. Yeah. Um, so just the job did not seem like it fit my personality. However, um, I've really grown to like the treatment side of things and being in that. Um, I think ADAPT was my first, actually IAS, which is our intensive addiction services. It's our partial inpatient um, program. That's when I really, really started to like mental health and what I was doing um, just because I can connect with the patients and, and you know, just get to them on a deeper level and then be able to help them through whatever they were going, going through at the time. So it's, it's working out. I will say that. <laughs> um, but, and then you, you have gotten a travel, um, just a little bit, but you've been in. I went to Alaska for three months, um, last year from August to November. Um, and then I just went to Dover, Delaware for my, I always say quote unquote deployment cause it's not overseas. Um, <laughs> but they, they acknowledge it as a deployment, mm -hmm. um, which makes sense. It's, it's related to, to people coming in from overseas who have been KIA. So, um, yeah, I've gotten a little bit of experience going places and it's been really great. So I've loved it. So let's talk about Alaska real quick. Um, what was that like? Cause you were at Isleson. So, um, that's usually the one that people deem they don't want to go to. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. But how did you enjoy it? So I was really excited and I was welcomed. Um, I, it was a, it was a warm welcome when I got there. Um, they actually have a, a bucket list when you get there from command. They gave it to me when I did my in-processing and it's kind of like, these are all the things that you should do while you're here. And I had also Googled the top 100 things to do in Alaska and my crazy self had a map quest also to where I should be going and what I should be seeing. Mm -hmm. um, so I really took advantage of being there. Um, and there was just, and even on the treatment side, there were different situations that you had to deal with um, as opposed to being in the lower 48 because um, there's not a lot to do, um, depending on what people like to do, obviously. Um, but when it's cold in those few months, January, February, and it's like negative 60, there's not much to do. So people find substances and, and they find, they make their own trouble basically. So, and then also people get depressed when there's no sunlight. So Alaska just presents a whole new level of challenges. Um, but I, I absolutely loved it. And I found so many things. I had people that were stationed there for two or three years and they're like, I haven't done half the things you've done. Cause I drove down to Anchorage twice, which is a six hour drive through the mountains one way. <laughs> so Ooh. I really did a lot of things while I was there. I think that's awesome that they gave you a bucket list. Like, like to yeah. me, it's a proactive approach to say, Hey, do these things. Right. And cause yeah even for those people that maybe aren't adventurous, they're like, I guess I got to do these things. And hopefully it sparks some kind of like, Hey, this is actually really cool. I think that's fantastic. And it's, I'm, I think like every unit could do that, right? Like a, you know, Hey, here's the things to do here. Hey, you definitely should check it out here. That's fantastic. Cause as we know, people that are depressed or going through issues, the last thing they probably have is the motivation to get out and figure out what to do. Yeah. Um, and so if you're getting handed something that is like, here is mm -hmm. something to do. 
Yeah, I would have loved that at Andrews, honestly, because there's just so much. It's It seems kind of overwhelming when you get here. I'm a small town girl, so when you get to a big city, I'm just like, I don't know what to do or where I'm at. Where so, <laughs> yeah, so it was a little bit overwhelming. So I do agree that bases could have that. And I, I think it, I'm more honestly, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I think it, <laughs> I think it's a proactive way to kind of, to fight those yeah. mental. Well, and um, so my husband had gone TDY there for two weeks and he, he, he saw a lot of just the culture in that area is focused around drinking. Like, mm-hmm. like that is what people do there. And so um, yeah. to give a, uh, and then there's not even much outside of the town that's outside of the base and everything. Yeah. So to <laughs> yeah, plant the seeds, that's awesome. And yeah. I'm actually writing that idea down because that's, yeah. that's awesome. I thought that was great of them. Yeah. So, and then so switching from Alaska to Dover, totally different experience. Um, yeah. <laughs> totally <laughs> Very much. Um, um, to, yeah, just tell us about your experience there. So um, Dover was Dover was nerve wracking before I got there. Like thinking of you know what am I going to see? What am I going to do? Um, how much am I going to be involved, um, with remains and and things like that? Cause that's not something your everyday, you don't deal with in your everyday life. Um, so I definitely had a lot of, uh, reservations about going and what it was going to be like. So, um, actually the very first day I showed up, I did all my briefings and things like that, um, pre-exposure and we had the, the mental health techs that were there um, training me, they did actually did my briefings. Um, and we got started that day. So I saw remains that day. Um, so it, it took it, you know, it was very quick and, you know, over with fast. Um, but like the, the, I guess the anxiety went away very quickly is what I'm saying about just not knowing the unknown. Um, and so basically my time there, I would, we live in a hotel and I lived in the hotel with the rest of the people. Most of the people were, um, national guard or I'm sorry, reserve. Most of them were reserve a few active, maybe like a handful, not very many. Um, so that that was a different component to, um, deal with and trying to, to navigate in between. Um, but we would, uh, we would receive the, the remains from overseas, um, when someone had passed away and we would either be with the family while they were, because they would fly the families in to see when their loved one flew in. Um, and then we would also be uh, working at the Fisher house um, with the friends of the fallen and things like that um, to prepare them to go out to the flight line. So you would either be with the family or you'd be working with the uh, member that had flown back with the remains. So typically that was a close friend or, um, you know, just a unit member that they would be with. Um, that maybe was there when it all happened. Um, so you were also kind of checking on them when they came in. And then um, I would also uh, be part of, um, you know, dressing the remains to get them, getting them ready for casketing and then having them sent off to their final resting place. So that was, in a nutshell, um, part of the uh, process. But then you also have the aspect of keeping the deployers, um, you know, mentally ready 
and it distracted in ways. Um, we, we had a really good resiliency program. Um, a lady named Shelly, she was over all of that. And we had great uh, chaplains with us, RAs, um, and then myself as part of the team. Um, some of the chaplains were deployers, some of them were permanent party. Um, the RAs were always deployers. And so, and we rotated in every six months just to not have overexposure. But we would have, um, we would set up events and uh, sporting, we would have sport days, we would have, you know, runs, we would play games, we would do all kinds of things um, uh, to keep everybody busy and occupied. And so that was another challenge of the mission. So it was awesome though. How, so to me that, you know, it just kind of is, is just kind of like mind blowing, you know what I mean? That we are a part of that mission and it makes sense. You know what I mean? It, it absolutely makes sense right. to be there to help people. It's just, you know, when you, when I think of mental health tech and I first came in, I didn't ever expect that we would have a mission of bringing back remains from downrange. You know what I mean? Like that wasn't anything that really crossed my mind. Um, so how was that first day? Cause I feel like, I feel like I would be like, whoa, 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 like we're jumping right in. Like, can we have a day to be like, hey, I just got here. I got the brief, you know, tomorrow, you know, like let me prep mentally for that. How was that first day just kind of being like, hey, you got the briefing. So here we go. Um, it was it was something to be a part of, honestly, because when we I did the briefings, I got in there um, and then my, my trainer looked at me and he said, so we're about to walk in and there are remains in this room. Are you are you OK with that? And I said, yeah, sure. Let's go. You know, let's let's do this because it's only going to be more throughout the, the time I'm there. So um, it was humbling, I guess, to to be part of that because you see someone who had served their country and, you know, is laying now on a table in front of you. It just kind of brings it home what we were really doing there. Um, so emotionally it was, it was a, a long day. Yeah. And I want to say that week, um, most of our missions, um, we had like four or five missions that, that week. So meaning more remains were coming in and it was usually, um, a time where we were supposed to be asleep when they would come in. And so, um, the, the unit did very good with trying to get us our sleep hours back. Um, but it was definitely a, a go, go, go as soon as I got there type thing. Yeah. Until COVID hit. <laughs> so, yeah. So what was the challenges with COVID in your guys's mission? Um, COVID gosh, <laughs> there were so many challenges because when it first hit, everybody was freaked out. We didn't know what exactly, um, what COVID was, I guess, and how to handle it and how it was transferred. Um, and so you have the, uh, probably 40 deployers in a hotel together. Oh, wow. Um, that had also, which mind you, is a hotel for everyone else who comes in the base. So the flyers and all that kind of stuff. So they kind of had to figure out how to separate us because we had to be um, ready for a mission to come in because we're a no-fail mission. So we had to be ready for, for a, a flight to come in. And if we all had COVID, then that wasn't a thing that we couldn't do it. Um, and then we'd be a fail mission. So um, we had to screen the family members before they came. Um, if they were sick at all, obviously they couldn't come. So that was another um, hindrance on them being able to, to see their family member come home. Um, but we also... I mean, living in a hotel, we didn't have kitchens or anything like that. So 
it was a struggle getting, you know, food and things like that. And our time out of the hotel would have been going out and doing things in the area, like the beach and things like that, um, just to kind of get our mind off of it, which was an amazing addition to being over in Dover, um, having the beach so close, because that's not something I'm used to. Yeah. Um, but we couldn't do that anymore. And we couldn't, we couldn't go places like the mall or um, really just anything. So our life revolved around being in a hotel and going to work. And that is all we did. So um, it definitely started the, I could see the effects on the members of not being able to sleep and um, being depressed and being, you know, just not themselves because they couldn't get out and do the things that they love to do in their free time. So it was a challenge for sure. Did you, did you guys try doing anything like in the hotel, like as a group, like during that time? Um, yeah. It must've been really hard. Cause yeah, you're not able to go out and do any of your like coping, like, like what we normally tell people to do. Right. And it was, yeah, we did try and do those things. Um, but also we couldn't have more than 10 people in a group and that's when they started all of that. So mm. when you have 30, 40 deployers and you're trying to play sports and you have kickball, yeah. when you have yeah. eight, I think it was eight people at that time. You can only have eight people in a group. So four people on a softball or a kickball yeah. game is kind of, it's just hard. And so we didn't have a lot of spaces that we could space out. And it, at first when COVID hit, um, since they weren't quite sure of, of what was going on, they wanted to limit as many people in the building as possible. Um, and one of my jobs was to be in the job while they were doing the job to kind of keep an eye on them to see if, if something maybe had affected them differently or if they were just maybe not acting themselves. So I didn't, wasn't able to have an eyes on sometimes when they were doing things like, you know, dressing remains and, and things like that. Um, so that definitely created a, an issue. Um, and then we started doing, um, a blue and silver skilled schedule, which I think is kind of what the rest of the air, what the air force did at that time. Um, so then that meant I wouldn't see the rest of half of my team essentially mm. the, and so the whole point of having a, like a six, I think we had five or six person resiliency team was so they had access to different people because one person not might not vibe with me as good as they vibe with someone else and that's who they wanted to talk to well when they couldn't they didn't have that person as a resource because we weren't even supposed to meet up with them after work to yeah. keep yeah. you know the spread low um it, i think it presented a lot of problems um and challenges so but i think we i think we did the best we could yeah. yeah. Cause some people just don't want to get out of their room. So the only place that I would see them was at work. Mm -hmm. And so when I'm not even going to work, I'm really not seeing you. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of a, it's a violation of their privacy to just go, I wouldn't go knock on their door at their house to see if they're okay. Unless I had concerns in the normal world, um, in a clinic. So, um, to me, it felt like I shouldn't be going and invading their space on a deployment, no matter if they have just a hotel room down the hallway either. So mm. it was challenging and anyone can say they're okay over text. So yeah. it, it definitely created a lot of, of or, you know, um, situations where it was just 
tough and you had to create new new ways of doing things so what did what did you do i mean that must have even added even more to your own stress because you can't do your job um you care about your people but you can't even check on your people yeah um so what did you do to help mitigate your what you were going through so i always say that i turned into an old lady at covid um because i would there was a trail around the base that we could walk and so i would do my nightly walks <laughs> like an, like an old person, but at night um i would definitely do that and i would try just try and get people that were on my team to go out and do that walk with me um i would also do puzzles <laughs> so that was another old person thing <laughs> i guess i'm um, old in general because i do puzzles not even i love it. puzzles but i just <laughs> i had a lot more time to do them so yeah um so i was doing puzzles and uh i got some coloring books that we started doing um like the adult coloring books or whatever mm -hmm. um we would do oh my goodness sorry that's we would fun. do <laughs> um we would also play cards a lot uh rummy and uno and skipo and face in were something we did a lot so um sometimes not when we were with the people we were supposed to but uh you know it was all about resiliency for me because some people wouldn't get out of their room and if we could get them out of the room i didn't really care who was around as long as we had masks on and we were making sure they were okay so yeah i mean honestly too if you guys i mean if nobody's going anywhere right you know what i mean nobody's yeah. traveling with the outside population everybody's just kind of contained to the hotel to base well, we kind of had to though. But, but because, no, but that's what I'm saying. Like, if you're yeah. if you're already there, where's the harm in playing Uno for a night with a yeah. mask on? You know what I mean? Like well, everybody's. We, we had to go out to get food. You know, oh, we had to go true, out yeah. and get groceries. We had to go out and get food. Um, we also had uh, the the members working in the Fisher House. Um, they had people coming in from yeah all over. So it was it was a challenge because that that was that could have been the spread honestly so yeah. they had to quarantine even more so than we did because they were having family members come in um so it was it was different very different if so to me that sounds like a like a logistic um like a big logistic nightmare, right? On top yeah. of, and then you add COVID, right? I mean, like logistically, you're you're bringing back remains from downrange. You have somebody escorting the remains. Then you have whatever family friends are coming in, and you know, I mean, I'm mm -hmm. assuming some sort of command represent representative as well. Um, yes, so you have all this logistic stuff. So there's a lot going on. Then you throw COVID in there, so then it's even more stressful. As as Right. Aside from helping with those people during that COVID, what would you say would be would have was your biggest challenge with this mission? I would say um, it is tough having a balance of being okay yourself. I think personally for me, I would I was okay mentally during the whole deployment. Um, I just I have just a, a different personality, but I think for someone who maybe it might be more um, seeing remains and working with them um, might have a bigger effect on them, I think would be uh, a lot tougher for them to get their resiliency in and be able to deal with that. Um, but the tough 
the tough part for me, I think, was not being able to get out and do the things that I normally do to be resilient. And then also having, I was pretty much on call the whole time, if that makes sense, because I was at work. And then I also lived with them, essentially, because I had a room right down the hall. Um, I didn't find it tough, but it was one of those things where you were available at all times. And sometimes when you just wanted to take your time and you maybe just needed some space or whatever the case was, um, that wasn't, that wasn't a thing. So it was one of those things where it was just, if they called you, you were there. So that was, that was a learning, a learning experience for me, for sure. Um, before we started recording, you also talked a little bit about, um, uh, because you're, you being a, a army spouse before you came in the air force, mm-hmm. you actually had some connections to some of the, the deceased that had come, come through. Um, can you talk about that experience? Yeah, that was, that was really interesting. I actually had, um, a friend of mine, he had contacted me saying that some things went down overseas and, uh, and he said that he needed, did I cut out? Are you guys still? We're good. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. He just, he said he had some friends coming through and he said, you know, it just makes me feel a lot better that to know that you're there and you're part of that. And I actually had, um, I think a few of my army friends didn't realize I was there and we had another, an army member come through that I had socially known, um, that had passed away overseas too. So being part of that, um, it was awesome to be the, the connection because that those people left when they were killed in action, they left, um, overseas and then they had, uh, an escort with them. And then I was the connecting piece because I then took pretty much, um, you know, that next step and was watching over their, their member, um, or their friend or loved one or whatever they were to them. Um, so that was a really honorable, honorable position to have because it was very near and dear to their heart. And some of those people, um, are very near and dear to me. So just being able to be that connection for them and kind of a piece, honestly, um, uh, just a piece for peace of mind for them, um, to know that somebody's still with them and their friend isn't alone. Um, and some of them were even in, buried in Arlington and I actually went out for veterans day and just laid flowers on their graves. Um, and you know, just sent them pictures of that. And it's just, it's kind of cool how I can be an extension for them um, to just give them a peace of mind in, in those situations. So it was awesome. Yeah. To me, that sounds, I mean, like to me and, and I'm, I feel like that's a great way to help them out. The people that you knew, right. You know, a great way to, right. like you said, to help them give that peace of mind. Uh, and that to me sounds like something, if you're willing to do that, absolutely. Because, uh, like you said, not everybody has that same experience when they when they go for this deployment or or that same reaction to this. So, it sounds like you really you know kind of thrived in that environment of helping people out during that time. And and I agree with you. Being on call twenty four seven absolutely is you know is a is a big shocker when you're like, oh snap, there's no Saturday Sunday. <laughs> yeah, well, it's right. no, there's no Saturday and no Sunday. There's no five o'clock at night like time yeah. out like. Yeah, 
it was it was interesting and of course um when i say that i was there for them too i was honest um I, was, I grew really close to a chaplain that was there and so i was honest with him that hey i know this person coming in and so i had an outside perspective too that if if i was too close to the situation he would have removed me but since i didn't personally know them he did not remove me so i thought that was mm -hmm. um that was definitely key because sometimes you want to be a part of something even though it's not maybe the healthiest choice for you so oh, yeah. i had to be mindful of that too yeah yeah um, there's nothing wrong with setting those boundaries by any means you know um, yeah because in the long run if this one is going to be too much for you you would rather excuse yourself for that right. once that way you can carry on you know the next missions that roll down right way yeah if, let's say i'm getting ready to head out here in a month to go do that mission what advice would you have um be ready to to be open-minded because you're about to see a lot of things um i would prepare yourself with how to talk to families um that are grieving definitely don't make promises just like we do in mental health don't make promises of things um and you're you might see there's just everyone deals with with grief um whether that be a deployer or a family member differently mm -hmm. um so just be prepared for that and what you're going to see and it's okay to be emotional with those people um because it you're human like it's going to happen so but i would just say to be ready to acknowledge those feelings and definitely be ready to tell somebody if it's too much or if you're if you're experiencing um any of that because when you can't be when you can't take care of yourself i'm sure everybody's heard this when you can't take care of yourself you can't take care of anyone else so yeah. you kind of have to be, have your mind right before you get there to be able to continue the mission and be able to take care of yourself and everyone else so and i i also would say be ready to mingle with people like when you were talking earlier get in where you fit in you literally have to find something that you connect with everyone with whether that be gaming and i'm not a gamer i used to, i still have my super nintendo my yeah. my 64 but there we go <laughs> i definitely have those <laughs> but um i had to find different ways to to you know make connections with people um and and that can be a challenge in itself if if you're not a very outgoing person so it's it's essentially an embedded position um and i really fell in love with that piece of it so I thought it was really awesome. Yeah. Man, I, you know, again, if, I mean, it sounds like a, um, I was told as a young airman from my first flight commander, he goes, Hey, if you ever get a chance to deploy, do it. Cause it'll be very, very rewarding. Uh, obviously there's a lot of strings attached yeah. to whenever you go down range or whenever you go do a mission like this, that, you know, there's things you don't think about but to me. Um, this sounds like, it, it sounds like a very challenging, you know assignment but it can be very rewarding like you said but it can be emotionally taxing um it definitely can yeah that i mean it's 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 weird to think that um i shouldn't say it's weird to think it's the first thing i think about whenever you start talking about this is just the profession of arms like how many people are so disconnected mm -hmm. from the fact that that is our job right you literally see the end result of our job yeah as military members that's right. a lot that's a big piece that you sign up for that you may not realize until it's either like you said in this situation or you're down range and you're having to you know take shelter or take cover from incoming you know it's one of those things that 
people right. may not realize until it, these moments hit. So. Right. Yeah. And it, it was just amazing to be a part of. Yeah. So kind of switching gears, you're, you went from, it sounds like you've kind of been on like this, you know, you went to Alaska, was it last year? Yeah, it was August to November of last year. So August, November of last year in Alaska for the Manning Sis, January of this year to July, you're at Dover. And now in five days, you're getting ready to go down to the brig. How do you feel yeah. like those experiences have prepared you for the brig? Um, so, and I also did, uh, I worked with Wounded Warrior in between Alaska and Dover. So that's another aspect of it. I haven't told you guys that yet. Surprise um, bombshell. There yeah. it is. Flat twist. What's, Boom. what's that? Tell yeah, us about that. Uh, so they started a resiliency program, a resiliency track in the Wounded Warrior. And so it's not just sports now. It's also a resiliency track. And they would um, they would sing, they would make songs, and they would do crafting, and they would do um, – they would have sessions where they would just talk. And it brought out – Man, when I say that week was, it was amazing to be there for them. And it was also exhausting. I went home every day mentally exhausted, but rewarded at the same time. Um, because I didn't realize how much they would need me, if that makes sense. Um, I, I wasn't quite sure because I was the first one to do it. Um, so I wasn't quite sure what was going to be expected. And I, I did that in National Harbor. Um, they had those in a, a hotel over there. Um, which is like 20 minutes from where I'm at, but, um, yeah, that was another challenge in itself. So I think that prepared, uh, wounded warrior was also kind of an embedded situation because you're seeing these people that have had so many different experiences, different jobs, different, um, backgrounds, obviously, um, that might not have a wound such as, you know, an amputated leg or, you know, yeah. uh, being an amputee, I guess I should say the visible um, wound. Yeah, they don't have the visible wound, but they do have the, the psychological wounds. Mm -hmm. So um, that was very intriguing um, to learn about and kind of prepare myself for things to come. Um, so that prepared me. And then I believe that Dover was more of an embedded situation as well. Um, and just getting to know people and their experiences. Um, I think I have to attribute that also to IAS that I talked about earlier with our partial inpatient substance abuse yeah. uh, program at Andrews. Now to the brig, um, I think that's really prepared me really well to to get to know, because I'm going to be working with inmates now. Yep. Um, and you have to get to know them and kind of know how they tick and see that they're acting a, a certain way one day, maybe that they're down or, or whatever the case may be. Um, and just dealing with that and, and, you know, going with the flow and seeing where it goes. So I think it really prepared me for that stuff. Oh, absolutely. So. I think, I think like you said, that iOS piece is, you know, is very, very key because you're going to have a lot of, you know, hands-on work with them and you have a great resource and uh, Sergeant Garrett right there, who's, you know, been through it and you can talk yeah. to him about that and probably lean back and reach back out to him on how he yeah. maybe managed certain things. Uh, when did you join again? Uh, 2015. So you joined in 15 and you, you have your KDAC, your staff sergeant, you're getting ready to do 
a, uh, a what I consider a special duty. I don't I don't know if it's official. I think it's called that. Yeah, I think so. Um, but what do you, what's next for you? What goals do you have? I mean, like you have a lot of this, a lot of this experience in the last five years, mainly in the last year. You, I mean, you've gotten a lot of stuff outside of your home base. What other right. goals do you have for your career? Um, I personally would like to be embedded, um, special working with the army or I would say being around the army. Um, I had a different mindset when I joined the air force of what it was going to be like. And yeah. it was, it was a lot different than what I expected. Um, so I would say being embedded with a special ops unit, I would say would be my, my goal. Um, which is tough being a female because they don't like to see females. I don't think it's more acceptable right now to be a female in a special ops unit. Um, just because of the potential problems it could cause. Um, which is very real. I mean, that's why they don't have them, you know, go in their units initially anyways. Um, Cause it, it just seems to be more trouble than, than good um, working with them as far as like the same job. But I think being a mental health tech with them would be appropriate because I think they're more willing to share their feelings um, and see a little softer side of them with a female. Um, instead of a male because you have to be tough in front of a male um, socially that's what's socially accepted right now um, so I, I think I could it would be a good fit for me just because I know those lifestyles and I've, I've been around Ranger Battalion and and spec spec ops special forces things like that um, and you have so I think yeah for it yeah I have the personality mm -hmm. yeah um, and so I think this, just the hesitations, um, I think that there is, there's just a look about it that is still there, a stigma, if you will, I guess, of a female working with special ops. Um, but I, I think I would personally love it. <laughs> I think because <it laughs> my personality yeah, it, it would be. <laughs> yeah. And I also just kind of understand kind of like, um, you're doing right now with the, the helicopter or the, um, is it the helicopter? The the unmanned, right? The oh, it's the, uh, the remote the remote piloted uh, unmanned. Oh, aircraft. okay. Mm -hmm. We're a bunch well, of runners, you can tell. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, you know, one of those. Is it the one with the the the, the twirl the spinny things? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh those guys. No, uh, but <laughs> I did get a chance to work with um, EOD. And in Alaska, I actually got the uh, a pretty cool experience. We had a JTAC come in to mental health. Yeah. And oh, really? Yeah, and which is unheard of. If y'all, yeah. it's just not what they do. Mm -hmm. um, and someone had done the intake or the triage and basically said, okay, well, you're getting referred to ADAPT. And I was like, no, <laughs> you can't. That's just not a career field that you can do that with. Um, you know, just different career fields do different things as you're probably experiencing now being a shirt um, outside of the med group. It is not, it's not the same. Um, and so, so no, 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 I was going to say, you know, um, you know, Chief Perry actually mentioned that, you know, recognizing where our, our limitations in our clinic 
is for mental health, for family advocacy, for ADAP, and how it does affect career impacts. Um, maybe this is a bad comparison, but it's kind of the way that I look at it, right? The EPR system and rating people accurately. Rating people right. accurately is not a bad thing. Rating people where they are is not a bad thing. So when right. people have their accurate ratings, it, it, cre it, it takes a culture to understand that. And mm -hmm. I, when you look at mental health, when you look at getting care, I tell a lot of the guys over there, hey, there are things that can impact your security clearance. There are things that can right. impact your, your special duty, right? Flyers, right. getting a diagnosis, they can never drink again. To me, that's absurd. But, yeah, it is. It's a tough one. But what, what I that. tell them is that it's, it's very similar to that of if you break your arm and you have a cast and you rip your cast off at the three-week mark when really you're supposed to have it on at the eight-week mark, how is that going to help your body? So the biggest thing is right. that if, if you start this treatment, it is definitely on you to finish this treatment. So, uh, you know, Chief Perry right. kind of hinted at, hey, we got to find a better way to help the people while still letting them get help and letting them do their job. Because at the right. end of the day, like you said, especially with those special forces guys, we don't want them out of pocket unless they're having these severe yep. reactions. If, if they're right. paid to shoot bad dudes in the face, then we want to make sure they're shooting bad dudes in the face. I can't do mm -hmm. that job. I'm not trying yeah. to do that job. Yeah. And then that special, that no fail mission is going to be down a body. So yes, we want to help right. them out as best as possible while, while still serving the Air Force as, as well, much as we can. Yeah, you got you got someone who clearly like they came into mental health, so they had to get over all of that. And the first thing you're gonna do is say, "Now I need you to go down the hall and go see someone else you don't want to see right now." Like you have yeah. to like, build some rapport. And there's things that we can do in the mental health side that can help with if they're now if there's truly a, you know a drinking problem. I mean, like right. We, we need to do what's medically best for people and everything right. like that. But there's some stuff you can do on the mental health side. Like, it doesn't mean you, you can't touch topics of alcohol. Just like right. in the in the ADAP side, we, you know, we work with people with their stress and depression and stuff. If they're not, especially if they're not going to mental health. And so, right. yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's great to hear that, you know, Chief Perry ta was talking about that. Like, hey, like... We need to meet people also where they're at too. Right. And I think that's, um, the, since the Air Force is headed towards embedding, I think that's right. great because that's how the Army does it. Special Ops is embedded. They have that person embedded that kind of understands. I think there are limitations to it um, because if maybe that person, they don't click with that person or maybe that person doesn't understand that lifestyle still, even though they're surrounded by it. Um, can definitely hinder them getting help, but maybe that one good person that is put in that position that understands will be good for them. So that is my goal. That'd be my goal. Well, that's awesome, man. Um, you know, there's a lot of opportunities out there for embedded slots. Uh, and, you know, I get emails every now and then from, uh, from a few of our uh, mental health uh, embedded leaders um, that, you know, just send out, Hey, this is, you know, this is available. Um, these, these slots are available. So uh, definitely somebody such as yourself who wants that, you know, don't, you know, don't get caught up on the fact that you're in the special duty for such a long time that you can't, 
you know, volunteer for one of these things, you know, or, you know, start greasing the wheels now, you know, letting them know, Hey, I want to do this. Hey, I want to do this. This is, you know, kind of my, my ambition, but it sounds like you have a right mindset for them and, and, you know, just helping the folks out as much as possible. Um, so one quick question. Sorry about the plane over. Oh no, you're good. Uh, one quick question. <laughs> if you could go back to basic training, tech sergeant or uh, tech school Pearson there, what what advice would you have oh gosh um i've always you don't at, at least when i came in you didn't get to pick the job you were in mm -hmm. um so i would i always believe that everything happens for a reason and i think i was put in this career field for a reason um and i would say that for anyone whether it's not where you're going to stay forever you're still going to learn things about other people um and about yourself while you're doing it, honestly. Um, so I would just say embrace it. Uh, tech school is a challenge for me because I was class lead and I was so much older than a lot of them. Um, so um, just embracing that time and kind of enjoying it more than, I would have tried to enjoy it more than I did. I was very, um, I studied and I did my thing and I was class lead. So it's hard for me to be able to have fun and do that, if that makes sense. So. Um, I would definitely just enjoy every step of the way, um, more than, more than I did, I guess. <laughs> yeah. <So. laughs> well, I think, um, what you said there, uh, about, you know, it, things happen for a reason. I'm, I'm also a believer in that and it might not be something you want to do, but that's how we grow is like going into those challenging positions that we might not have gone and done ourselves yeah. or, um, going to a remote location like and then you find out you love it um or even yeah. if you don't like it you find out how to be resilient in dealing with the thing those things and coming out better on the other side yeah i actually another story had um a ranger friend of mine reach out to me he was overseas and just having some mental issues and if i wouldn't have had this job i would have had no idea what to tell him to do or to know who to get to hold, who to get a hold of to get him help. Um, but I actually talked to one of my buddies that was in um, his battalion. He didn't know that I knew him, uh, and so I knew to reach out to him to say, "Hey, what's going on? Where are your resources? What's you know? What can I give this guy or tell this guy?" And they had, they were sending out his provider within two weeks, so he was able to get some care in between, and then talk to the provider that already kind of knew his backstory to take care of him. So I don't know, there, it's just placed me in some really interesting positions um, since I've been in this career field. And that's outside of the job and in different branches as well. So it's been really cool. That's been awesome. And it sounds like you've been, you know, like you said, in a place to really help a lot of folks. I think that's fantastic. And like you said, it's good for folks coming in to realize, hey, while this may not have been your first choice, it doesn't, it's, it's not your last option. There's plenty of options that the military has. Take what you can from this and do your mm -hmm. best with what you have. And if you, if it's for you, absolutely, you know, do, you know, if continue on, if not, there's plenty of other jobs, but I agree. I, I feel like mental health is, um, is a great career field because people don't recognize how much we actually can help people. And it may not be on the, the day-to-day -day ops it may be the you know bumping with somebody at the defac or uh, you know like you said somebody else hits you up hey you're you're in mental health what's going on here you know i've had that plenty of yeah. times where 
oh, you're in mental health, you know, fire off the question. And it's like, oh, okay, let's help you out here. You yeah. Know, so that's, that's fantastic that you've been able to help folks. Yeah, it's been great, honestly. When you look at it and you talk about it today, it kind of puts it in perspective. Because yeah. you can get lost in the day-to-day grind and kind of lose sight of what you've actually done. Um, so this is kind of bringing it back for me, too, for my time here and, and in mental health so far. So Awesome. Well, it sounds like uh, the brig, and it's in Charleston, right? You're heading down to Charleston? It is, Awesome. Yeah. It sounds like they're getting a... Headed uh, to the beach. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> um you'll be right there it sounds like they're going to get a great asset um with you coming down there so um maybe we'll bring you back on after you've been down there for a while and just kind of get an update see how you've been doing and everything and um we definitely wish you the best down there um do you, do you have any more questions no i don't have any more questions thank you for taking the time in between tmo getting your stuff and, <laughs> and not having furniture in your house and yeah and entertaining us um yeah i agree um uh, Charleston's getting an excellent tech. It's been awesome. The things you've talked about, um, like how you felt you've grown, it's been awesome. It's noticeable. Um, as, you know, I was on Andrews. I worked with Sergeant Pearson since she showed up from her yeah. from tech school and everything. It's been awesome to watch you grow. And um, yeah, you talk about your personality. You have a strong personality in a good way. Not that's yeah, no, yeah. Baseball. Um, but you've been able to use that to hone your skills and things and just being honest with yourself and, and everything. And so, um, yeah, Charleston's going to be a great opportunity for you and you're going to do really well there. I'm really excited for you. <laughs> I appreciate that. Thank you. I'm excited too. Lots of new challenges. Yeah. Well, there you go. Sweet. Well, thank <laughs> different you so much. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. Thank you so much, Sergeant Pearson, for joining us today. We appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Anytime. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye. <laughs>